billionaire, genius, playboy philanthropist. All this and more sums up Tony Stark. After a weapons presentation in Iraq, Stark gets himself captured, which also results in him having a chest filled with shrapnel. Needing to escape, he miniaturizes it and dons a suit of armor. This results in the birth of the armored Avenger, Iron Man. Once returned safely, Stark works to perfect his design and uses it to protect all mankind. This activity catches the eye of a mysterious organization known as S.H.I.E.L.D. On the other hand, the chairman of Stark Industries discovers this and has plans of his own for Tony's work. this 11th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we cover superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, Image, and more. If it came from a comic and had a theatrical release, you know we'll discuss it. I'm one of your co-hosts, DJ Nick, and today we'll be discussing Iron Man. And with me today to take on what is now considered the seminal superhero movie is returning guest co-host and friend, John Takas. Hey, John, how you doing? I'm doing good, Nick. Well, it's wonderful to have you back, John. You know, we had a great time with you when we discussed Batman from 89, and here we are discussing Iron Man. So um, let's let's have a quick look at, at um, you know, a brief few facts on the Iron Man movie. It was directed by John Favreau, who listeners might know as the director of prior films like Elf and Zatora, A Space Adventure. Came out in 2008, written by Mark Fergus and Paul Ostby, who are known for Children of Men, and also Art Markham and Matt Holloway, who had The Punisher war zone to their credit. It stars Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark slash Iron Man, Terrence Howard as James Rhodey Rhodes, Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane slash Iron Monger, and Gwyneth Paltrow as Virginia Pepper Potts. The original score was by Ramin Jawadi, who has scored such movies as Clash of the Titans and Pacific Rim, and the seventh series of Game of Thrones, Prison Break, Person of Interest, and Westworld. Funny story about Ramin's soundtrack is he was told by director John Favreau to go with heavy metal music as he envisioned Tony as a rock star and I personally think it's perfect also he was helped by folks like <laughs> Hans Zimmer who is also into the heavy guitars in the movies he has scored and also by Rage Against the Machine guitarist Tom Morello who actually has a cameo in this movie so mm -hmm. John an estimate it cost 140 million dollars to make and made over 585 million at the box office. So as a superhero movie, it was only outdone by a little flick called The Dark Knight. So I would say they definitely did a great job. Uh, why did you pick this movie in particular? Uh, well, 
uh, first off, thanks again for having me back. I really appreciate it. And uh, like I, so we were talking about during the uh, Batman 1989, uh, even though that was my first uh, first episode talking to you, uh, Iron Man's always been my favorite. Uh, I want to say that I started looking at Iron Man books probably around the age of 13, and that's a year before I started watching Doctor Who, and that says something for me. Uh, because I've been a lifelong uh, lifelong Doctor Who fan. Uh, but yeah, Iron Man was... he He's one of those... I, I like to call him a real-world hero. He doesn't get his powers from a different colored sun. He wasn't injected with a super serum. He creates all of his own technology. And it just... It, he, 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 becomes, uh, uh, he becomes his own hero. And it's just, uh, just one of those things that just really grabbed me right from the get-go. And but and prior to this movie, were you also a fan of the Iron Man comics as well? I was. Uh, I, I, it's a funny story. I actually uh, paid uh, installments on the very first issue for like maybe uh, three months going back and forth to a local comic book show uh, when I was uh, like 16 years old. So it's. Uh, uh, I actually recently just completed the first the original series of uh, of Iron Man that went from 68 to 96 and that's issue one through issue 332 so that's it took a long time but I finally got them all well more power to you I mean that's definitely something that could, would make I think any comic book collector and fan envious for sure I'm certainly agreeing with envy over here so you definitely <laughs> that's definitely an amazing thing so let's first look at the main man himself Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark slash Iron Man and being such an avid fan of the comics what were your thoughts on how Robert Downey Jr. played our hero well uh I know that uh, the there were there were rumors about an Iron Man movie all the way back to, from 1980, I'm, I'm sorry, 1990 by fault, and uh, those went on from like three different studios that kept on having to give it back to Marvel until they could finally agree on on this one in 2000. I think uh, 2006 they decided they actually uh, signed the deal on it. Some of the original ideas uh, they had for for Tony Stark were Nicolas Cage, and it was rumored as Tom Cruise, and and nothing against those actors. I just couldn't see them as Tony Stark. So when Robert Downey Jr. was cast, I just I, he looks the part, and obviously he did his homework because as he's on the screen, he he becomes Tony Stark. I, he there's there's only a few other actors that I can easily say that uh, they fit the bill right then and there from the get go, and uh, one would be uh, probably Christopher Reeve. And Robert Downey Jr., I'd like to say that uh, it, you got Christopher Reeve. He is the penultimate or the ultimate Superman, in my opinion. And you got Robert Downey Jr., who I don't think anybody else could be Tony Stark. Mm, well, I mean, that seems to be the main opinion when it comes to, to Superman. Is a lot of the guests that we've had, because we had here on the show tend to all agree that uh, Christopher Reeve is the ultimate Superman. I think we have probably found our ultimate Iron Man. And granted, it is hard not to think of what came after this movie, but I cannot see anybody else myself playing Stark than Robert Downey Jr., as they are yeah. one and the same. And mm -hmm. I also think that Robert pretty much played himself which is probably why he did such a great job, as he could draw <laughs> from his own personal experiences, minus the fact of being a scientific genius, of course. But 
but you know the playboy party guy yep he had that down not to mention the quips many of which i am sure were off the cuff as we know that robert downey jr is up there with people like the late great robin williams when it comes to comedic ad-libs mm -hmm. and also i think you have to hand it to the stellar performance on his part when it came to the transformation that tony undergoes following his escape in afghanistan as most people know it is rare that a movie will be shot in chronological order the way we view it so the ending may be shot first then pieces in between and the beginning last. So I feel this really shows off the great actor that Robert Downey Jr. is in playing the spoiled, selfish playboy billionaire to somebody who, though still very full of himself, has definitely learned the lesson that is not always about him. Mm -hmm. Also, quite a few characters have to deal with Tony's shenanigans during the course of the movie. And among these, we have the ever-faithful friend James Rhodey Rhodes, a.k.a., well, later in the movies anyway, um, War Machine, played this time around by Terrence Howard, whom mm -hmm. our listeners might know from films like Dead Presidents, Mr. Holland's Opus, and of course, Hustle and Flow. What were your thoughts on Terrence's portrayal of the character of James Rhodey Rhodes? I, I enjoyed him. I uh, as being a fan of the of the comic series, he he played Rhodey the way he should have been played. I mean, he was uh, pretty well pretty well stalwart in everything that he was doing on his own, like uh, like with his job, uh, with the military, and he kind of like Tony's babysitter when they went out. But yeah, I, I really I really liked the way he played him. And it's interesting that this babysitter role almost then passes on from Rhodey to Happy Hogan late in later movies, which mm -hmm. I thought was an, was an interesting choice. And just like you said, I mean, he's I think in this movie he's played more almost for laughs as he struggles to follow Tony in his gallivanting and crazy escapades. But <laughs> as I mentioned before, he is the kind of guy you would want as a friend, not to mention I think he's very much Tony's moral compass. And, done his, and does his best to try and help him do the right thing and somewhat mend his eccentric ways. And were you actually upset at the time to learn that he would not return? And could you have seen him as War Machine? I, I yeah, I could easily have seen him in the next uh, in the next couple of movies and continuing around with the with the uh, with the franchise. Uh, I understand that it was a uh, it was a, a money dispute. Uh, he was offered a three three movie deal, and then they kind of felt it fell through, just because that uh, apparently he couldn't get the money that he wanted, and it's too bad. I mean, I mean nothing against uh, Don Cheadle. I mean, he does a I, I think he does a great job as as Rhodey as well, but uh, I think the uh, the film series would not have suffered at all if uh, Terrence Howard would have stayed on. Mm. And I think it, though it is, of course, I suppose, a hard exercise you know, to think of Terrence Howard as uh, War Machine in later movies, knowing what, like you were saying, Don Cheadle brought to this role as both Rhodey and War Machine. But in this case, he is perfect for this, this debut. I think he is best served as the military man over yeah. being a guy in a suit. You know, it's, he's kind of Tony's boots on the ground, as it were. And. I mean, it w I think it would almost, if you reverse the roles, it would kind of have been harder to see Don Cheadle do what Terrence Howard did in this movie. Yeah, it was it was good stepping on point. Mm, I, I definitely think so, too. And so we come to yet another faithful companion and the person that Tony would be completely lost without in more ways than one, <laughs> which is Gwyneth Paltrow as Virginia Pepper Potts. 
Now, a little bit of backstory in the character, which may surprise our listeners. Pepper actually got her job at Stark Industries from a secretarial pool by fixing an accounting mistake that Tony had made. Also, she's actually the object of desire when it comes to Happy Hogan. And uh, we'll, we'll, of course, revisit that when, you know, Happy Hogan comes more into the play in the movies. But when it came to um, Gwyneth as Pepper Potts, were you a fan of Gwyneth Paltrow going into this movie? And what do you think of how she played I, I never really saw a whole lot of films that she was in. I mean, I know uh, I, there she had plenty of them. It was just movies that uh, just weren't my thing. Uh, I know nothing against her. Uh, I think she did a really nice job as, as playing Pepper. Uh, plus the fact that uh, in the original comics, Pepper was more or less just the just a secretary. And I think what they did was when they put the movie together. During the uh, during the writers uh, during the, all the, the the back and forth with the writing on it, I think they kind of made her an amalgamation of Pepper Potts and another character named Bethany Cabe, who was eventually a love interest of Tony Stark, and, and I it, I just see the two of them together in that role. But I think with Paltrow, she pulls it off. She does a really nice job. I, I will agree with you. And, and did you did you feel that the, the chemistry between but uh, Gwyneth and and uh, Robert Downey Jr. was was real. I mean, because it's hard sometimes. I think for you know that kind of um, strong relationship, or should we say, you know, something that you can tell that eventually they will end up together. I mean, did you buy that relationship on screen? I I liked the, well, I did because I liked the fact that through I, this movie in 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 particular, uh, yeah, you can see that uh, I mean. They're not. They're not a thing in this movie. Uh, as the film franchise, as the uh, franchise goes on, they they become more and more close, like closer together, and uh, just leads it to where we are today with them. Uh, but yeah, it was. Uh, I had I had no issues with that. It was. Uh, it, it just felt right. I will. I agree, and I think the two definitely have excellent chemistry. And to be honest, John, I actually thought they were an item in real life as what we saw on screen seems so real, that gave that impression of going beyond the movie. So definitely kudos to both Gwyneth and Robert. I also feel that she plays the patient yet frustrated assistant very well in the way she sees off Vanity Fair journalist Christine Everhart, who's played by the gorgeous Leslie Bibb. And we can see that this is not the first bimbo she's had to escort off the premises. And at the same time, we can also see that she's a very strong woman and can tell why she would make such a great life partner for him as she can match him <laughs> step for step and is not afraid of speaking her mind to him, even when it seems he's totally ignoring her, which does happen quite, quite often in the movie. Now, before we take on the big bad, if you agree, John, I would spend a few words on a man whose role is essential in turning Tony's life around during his capture, which is Sean Toob as Ho Yinsen. You might know him from Fahad in Crash, Rahim Khan in The Kite Runner, and Majid Javadi in the Showtime TV series Homeland. Now, I, I don't know about you, John, but this is the kind of guy I would want as my guru and life teacher, as even <laughs> in the face of dire and dark situations, he always seems to have great advice. He's a man of great wisdom, as in the comics, he's actually one of Iron Man's mentors, and we can see why, as his patience is also limitless. And I was very sorry to see him go. And when it came to you, what were your thoughts on Sean Tobas Jensen? Well, I like the fact that uh, in... 
in the original origin story, it took place in Vietnam because that's the time that uh, that's the time it, when it came out. Uh, Vietnam was was going on, and uh, when he meets uh, Yin Sen for the first time over there, he knows who he is. He actually he he watched he studied under him. He watched some of his lectures, so he knew him right off the bat. And in this uh, this iteration of the uh, the story, obviously they're they're in the Middle East and. He's heard of him, but when he met him, he was so half in the bag he doesn't remember him. And uh, they, Yin Sen, he's just he he goes with it. He says, you know, it's like yeah, if I had that many drinks, I wouldn't remember remember me either. Uh, but that doesn't deter him from helping him and and trying to make like make him a better person. Definitely, and also I think that the fact of the the, the relationship I think is really great and. Speaking actually of Vietnam and Afghanistan, because obviously the, 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 that's a significant difference, I would say, in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, were you happy with this choice or would you have liked to have seen it, you know, the whole thing portrayed in Vietnam? I, I liked it because it's it's current. I mean, I, obviously the characters, the character was created in the late 60s, but you've got an audience now that they want to see what's going on right now in the world. And it, I think it brought it, it really brought it home to a lot of people. I agree. And I, I, even though I think it might have been interesting to have seen it take place in Vietnam, though I suppose it may not have worked for the MCU timeline as well, as Tony would have ended up possibly being too old, you know, on screen. Exactly. Where it could work, where it could work on the printed page. Mm -hmm. So I guess it makes sense. And plus, in 2008, the war with Afghanistan was still very much a reality and, stat and sadly still is today. So, like the Vietnam War, for those who were reading the early Iron Man comics, as you were saying at the time, it makes it more relatable to the audience, for sure. And then we have an actor and a character that is very dear to me because, because of the TV series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and also what he brings in the MCU, Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson. Now, yes. are you, now here's the question. Are you a fan of the, the, the TV series Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've really enjoyed watching it. And and what did you think of, of what Clark Gregg in, did in this movie? Well, this is the uh, I mean, this is the first time we've seen him on screen, and uh, it's a lot of a lot of times when I watch it, it's just it's you you forget that this is the first in a series of of, of an entire saga, and from what you see of him on in this film to where he is today. It's just, it's like two different people. He's like, he's really, he's, he's, uh, he's, he's very stiff. Uh, he's, he's like, okay, here's my job. I'm going to do my job and that's it. And he gets it done. And now he's, he's a lot more comfortable when you watch him in, in the, the, the films and the, and the TV series. It's just so funny to see the, it's it, just the, how, how they progress throughout the films. And I have to admit that actually re on the rewatch, I had a huge grin on my face when Clark Gregg makes the appearance because knowing what we both know, both being fans of the TV series, you know, mm -hmm. and what a great character Phil Coulson is throughout the series. It was just wonderful. And like you said, it's 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 interesting, the progression and the evolution that this character has through both Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and the MCU. So very, very happy to see to see uh, Clark Gregg in this. And so we come to the big bad and an actor I know that has many, many fans. 
Bridges. Jeff Bridges as Obadiah Stane slash Ironmonger. Now, what were your thoughts on how Jeff portrayed this well-known Iron Man villain? And what did you think of the character of Obadiah in this movie? Well, being a fan of the comics, um, I, I when I saw that it was Jeff Bridges, I was kind of, uh, I, I don't want to say I was off-put by it, but I was a little curious as to how he was going to play the role. Uh, in in the comics, I mean, he's a he's a business rival. Uh, he's he actually takes over Tony's company at one point in time because of uh, of a, the way the storyline was going, and it just seemed a little odd to me at first. But I I think the writing made up for that, and they they turned him into into the, the, like the mentor, and I mean, he was always I, he he knew Tony's father early on. But they never really went with it past, uh, like, just past that. Uh, I think Jeff Bridges was fantastic. I'm, 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 I'm watching. I'm like, okay, we've got Robert Downey Jr. and the dude on in the same movie. And it was just fantastic. I loved it. And the way he portrayed uh, Obadiah, I think the only thing that I would have liked to have them uh, include in it, because there were a lot of Easter eggs for the fans, I wish they would, they would have put uh, the fact that he was a master chess player, even if it was just putting a chess board on his desk or somewhere where you could have seen it at least once. But yeah, I think he did a great job. It was, it was really fun to see him play the part. I, I certainly agree. And I'm actually going to play devil's advocate for just a moment. As at first you see this man as the cool uncle you would want as your mentor. And we find out that he did actually mentor Tony till he was ready to take over the company from his dad. Though, uh, can we? The question is, can we resent Obadiah for being resentful of Stark as the guy's working his tail off within the company? And you see this other guy who has everything, squandering over fast cars and women, leaving him to do most of the heavy lifting in the company. And he makes a point of being all about Stark Industries. Though at the same time behind that, you have a man who is deeply sadistic. And we see this both when he tries to kill Tony and prior when he kills Raza in that slow, cruel way. So mm -hmm. all in all, though, some may disagree. I think he was actually a great first villain as he has the charisma and fun on one hand. But you also get the sociopathic evil side on the other. As to a certain point, on a business standpoint, I think he is right in seeing Tony as a liability to the company. And his actions almost seem reasonable, though in the end, he's also very self-centered and succumbs to his sadistic, vengeful impulses and pays the price for it. Um, and, and actually, and, and in this vein, could you kind of, you know, should we say, you know, you working, you know, in a company and such, could you kind of relate to how to the frustration that Obadiah was going through when he was seeing the way Tony was behaving? Oh sure. I mean, he's. I mean, like you said, he's working his tail off, and uh, uh, obviously he had his own agenda that uh, we we found out about later on. But here's this uh, kid born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He's having fun and at the expense of uh, basically his father's company. And uh, then when uh, when Obadiah decides, okay, it's uh, here. Here's here's what we're doing, and then uh, uh, with. Um, they're, he's kind of like double dealing under the table, but, but Tony doesn't know about it. Uh, Tony comes back after captivity. He says, okay, we're going to stop making weapons. And the look on his face is just priceless. And uh, he, he, he just puts an end to that press conference right then and there. He says, okay, okay, you know, we're, we're, the takeaway here is Tony's back. We're, we're, we're back to what we're, we're, we're going to do. And, and then he kind of lets him have it after that. 
Oh, yes, exactly. And added to that, you know, you mentioned a few Easter eggs. Well, you know, as an Iron Man fan, what were like the Easter eggs in this movie that, you know, kind of had you geeking out or, you know, had you, you know, with a huge grin on your face? Well, uh, way, uh, let's see, I want to say probably the ooh, early 70s or so, uh, before the... Before the Spider-Man cartoon, the one that uh, with with the, the famous Spider-Man, Spider-Man, uh, before that that one, they had uh, Marvel did some some uh, some cartoons, and uh, they're very static, uh, just like okay, here's 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 a picture, and we're just going to move him move the image instead of having like had like truly animated, uh, and there was uh, there were a few Iron, Iron Man cartoons, and the theme song that they used in that it appears at least three times that I can recall in the movie as well in different, uh, different, like you can hear it in the casino. It's actually, uh, it's actually, uh, roadie's ringtone. I mean, there's, uh, and even in, uh, the, the bedroom scene with, uh, Tony and Christine, that music that's playing in the background is the theme song from that original Iron Man cartoon. And I was cracking up when I heard that. (laughs) <laughs> well, for sure. And uh, and also when it comes to, you know, to obviously one of the first post credit scenes where we get the whole concept of the introduction of the Avengers and, of course, um, everything that, well, that everything this movie, should we say, is meant to set up, as it were. You know, when you first saw this, what were your reactions? I mean, do you remember how you felt and, uh, and you know, what your thoughts were seeing the, this, this post credit scene for the first time? Well, I... Uh... I purposely stayed in the stayed in theater because I, I I was told by by a friend you know you gotta stay stay all the way through because there's they're gonna you're gonna see something afterwards, and I mean, Marvel didn't they didn't invent the post credit scene but I think they've perfected it, so uh, just watching I, I think it's a it's a nice way to really give credit to the people that worked on the films because you have to sit there the whole time watch these watch the credits and uh you, you see all the people that really made this happen and then you get a little uh little surprise at the end and next thing i know there's uh, there's nick fury who's played by samuel l jackson i'm like this is amazing it was fantastic Oh, very much so and it definitely had you wanting more and uh, i mean because you know obviously in hindsight you know, you do take it for what it is, but you think about in 2008 when this, when people first saw this, or in, you know, in the early times when it came out, even on home video. Like in my case, I didn't get the chance to see it in theaters, but I had, I actually waited for the uh, the, the home video release and watched it on DVD. I went, my mind was blown because, like, oh wow, you know, there's actually a bigger picture to this. This is crazy, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also the question that I have to ask because it, it ends up being becoming associated with. Uh, Iron Man, you, I believe you told me when we did discuss the Batman movie that you're a heavy metal guy. So yeah. I'm assuming you're a fan of both ACDC and Black Sabbath. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then when you, as soon as you hear it start up in the beginning of the movie, you're just like, okay, this is going to be cool. Yeah, exactly. Because I believe, in fact, the um, when the soundtrack came out, everybody was all over it. I mean, because I believe, you know, for the most part, it does feature ACDC songs and Black Sabbath. And we, of course, find out that Tony himself, at least in the MCU, is a f- big fan of Black Sabbath as we actually see him rocking the Black Sabbath T-shirt. So mm-hmm. I thought that was that was very neat as well. And <laughs> any final thoughts on the movie before we move forward? I, I think it was just a really good stepping on point for the entire MCU. I mean, it just it set the stage for what was to uh, what was to come. 
and they took uh, they took two fantastic stories from the comics and blended them together into what we got and it was just a it's i i really want to say it was a uh, it was a love letter to the fans i will certainly agree as i think they were able to balance both being staying true to the subject matter and also trying to create an original story as well as that is very rare to be able to keep that balance and take liberties with the characters and such and more power to them for sure and john favreau did a great job as the director in this film mm -hmm. okay so let's get to ratings where did this movie rate for you on a scale of one to ten uh easily i want to say a 9.88888 <laughs> the question is then why won't you give it a 10 out of 10 uh i think it was just that uh, that little bit i was talking about with uh uh jeff bridges's obadiah stain i mean in in the comics, a, he was a, he actually had a group of villains that worked under him called the Chessmen. And uh, with him being a, ch a master, um, a chess master, I just I would have loved to have seen them just put that one one last Easter egg in there. Just I, even if it was just to, like I said, just a chessboard on a desk, just to say, okay, yeah, we're 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 showing you that we we did our homework here. But mm. uh, apart from that, I mean, I I. I could watch it over and over again. It's 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 a it's a movie that does not get old for me. I, I will certainly agree. I'm also going to give this a, a nine out of ten, as I think it has, in, like you were saying, an incredible rewatchable value, and it's one of the strongest superhero origin stories I have seen to date. And we, you know, we're now eleven years later, and I'm still to see a, an origin movie as good as this. Yeah, also, it still works. Exactly. The acting is spot on. The special effects still hold up and the score is awesome, too. And, you know, when it actually comes to special effects, does the, the special effects still hold out, hold up for you? I, I think they do. I mean, that's uh, there's 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 not a whole lot that uh, that's required. I mean, that's obviously the flying, uh, uh, but uh, that still looks how it looks today i mean the uh his repulsors those look fine uh the armor always looks amazing I and mean, just uh even though most of its animation with uh as it's being assembled and put onto them i mean it still holds up I'm very i agree exactly and you know knowing what we know of course following the end of the infinity saga and such when it comes to the character of iron man at this point what would you like to see done with him in the future if we ever get another Iron Man? Uh, if if we ever got another Iron Man, uh, I know there's been so many people who have worn the armor in the comics. Uh, I'd like to I'd like to see them keep it in the family. Uh, we had uh, Arno Stark in the comics. Uh, uh, also, there was Morgan Stark, but he was earlier on, uh, and even uh, even Pepper with the uh, the rescue armor. And I'd love to see more, more of that. Same here. And I'm actually hoping, I mean, I don't know if there will ever be a possibility that Rhodey might make the move from War Machine to Iron Man. But, you know, it's it's hard to say because who knows what the, what the people at Disney and at, at, at Marvel will want to, want to do at this point. I mean, could you possibly see Don Cheadle make that uh, move from War Machine to Iron Man? It might be a stretch now since he's so established as War Machine, but I mean, Rhodey did wear the armor in the comics. He uh, he helped out Tony when Tony was battling uh, alcoholism, so it's uh, I think it would be a step backward for him. But uh, as long as he stays on as uh, as War Machine, I'll be happy.
Same here for sure, because Don Cheadle definitely makes a wonderful, wonderful war machine. Now, you, of course, being a huge fan of Iron Man comics, did you have any Iron Man stories you would like to recommend to our listeners if they want to get into Iron Man in the on the printed page? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, thanks for asking, too. Uh, obviously, Tales of, Tales of Suspense, number 39. I don't think a lot of people have $10,000 lying around to get a copy of it, but... <laughs> They do have it in uh, trade paperback. You can get, uh, it's called uh, the Marvel Masterworks, and it goes on from issue 39 to 50, and that covers the origin story, it covers the uh, the time he spent in the, the gold armor, and then it has a couple stories from when he actually became the uh, the Red and Gold Avenger. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a perfect, perfect way to get started with it. Uh, and then also the second half of the story that uh, we got on film, that was taken from the uh, the Iron Monger series that went took place in uh, Volume One of Iron Man from issues 190 to 200, uh, which 200 introduced us to the Silver Centurion armor that he had for a while there. Uh, but uh, apart from that, uh, a couple key issues that that I I personally like. Um, <clears throat> there's uh, Iron Man number 313. Uh, which, even though he battled alcoholism back in the 80s in the comics, this issue has him, he just goes to a, an AA meeting and just, just opens, opens up to everyone. And it's an amazing, uh, amazing thing to read. Mm. Well, uh, wonderful, wonderful suggestions for sure. Uh, to add to that, I'm going to go with the Demon in a Bottle story from 1979. It is not surprisingly a tale of Tony's struggle with alcoholism. When mm -hmm. this was written by David Michelinie and Bob Layton in the 70s, it was absolutely groundbreaking for taking on such a monumental issue in the panels of a comic book. Today it remains, I'd say, quintessential to the character. Much of the storyline was adapted to Iron Man 2, mm -hmm. including the introduction of Justin Hammer. Seminal work in Tony Stark's canon, and it collects the invincible Iron Man from 120 to 128. And if we move into the 2000s, I would also suggest World's Most Wanted from 2008, which is perhaps the best of Matt Fraction and Salvador La Roca's work. It pits two uncommon enemies against one another, Tony Stark and Norman Osborn, who replaces Tony as the director of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yes, listeners, Tony Stark does become director of S.H.I.E.L.D. and makes <laughs> Tony a wanted Iron Man. Tony mm -hmm. is, is forced to flee abroad, always pursued as he tries to destroy all his work so Osborne can't get his hands of it. And in the final battle, he must don the original MK1 armor to defeat his foe. So it's a cool throwback with some beautiful art, and it collects Invincible Iron Man from number 8 to number 19 from the 2000s. Well, John, thanks for much, so much for your time. I greatly appreciated it. and look forward to having you back soon to discuss more of your favorite superhero movies. Thank you very much. It was, a, it was a blast. Oh, I definitely had a wonderful time. Now, when it comes to you and the great work that you do, where can we, where can our fine listeners find you on the interwebs? And because uh, I know that you have some wonderful stuff when it comes to also social and health issues that you deal with. Yeah, my uh, the the main main thing I do is uh, online is uh, the Ohio Type Forty. It's a uh, it's a Doctor Who group uh, on Facebook that. Uh, I mean, we're, we're an Ohio-based group. Uh, we're one of the four big groups in the state. Uh, but you don't have to be from the state to, to like our page. We've got, we've got friends from all over the world. Uh, 
and we just uh, we just have have a good time with it. Just share pictures, share uh, stories, share articles. And just have uh, just it's a it's a nice way to meet other fans from the state. And then uh, I also have a uh, small group that I just started not too long ago. I call it Type Two Doctor Who. Uh, it's a support group for Doctor Who fans who also suffer from type 2 diabetes. It's something that I was diagnosed with back in uh, late May, early June. And uh, it's it's kind of kind of tough hearing at 48 years old that all of a sudden you have diabetes. So it's uh, it's a nice way to get in touch with other fans. We've got, uh, we don't have a whole lot in there right now, but uh, the fans that we do have, I mean, it's, it's just turning into a really nice support group. Well, people, be sure to take notes and follow John Takis and the wonderful, wonderful stuff that he does, especially if you're a Doctor Who fan. But even if you're not a Doctor Who fan, the man is a wonderful guy to have as a friend. So definitely be sure to check him out. And also, Thank you. If you want, <laughs> you're very welcome. And if you want, and if listeners, if you want to be like John and join us here on the show to discuss a movie of your choice, feel free to shoot us an email at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Or if you want to just leave us a comment, you can also do that at happinessindarknesshow at gmail.com. Feel free to show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us at Happiness in Darkness. You can also follow us on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash whiskeyandcigarettes, or on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Apple Podcast, where we are under Whiskey and Cigarettes Show. And if you would like to support the podcast and are feeling generous, you can hit the donate button on SoundCloud or become patrons of our on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash happiness and darkness. We really appreciate that. Any donators will be able to pick the movie we next discuss, even pick one of the recurring co-hosts we discuss it with, or come on the show themselves to discuss the movie of their choice. And speaking of things to come, next week we'll be joined by friend, famed country artist and actor John Schneider, who has picked Todd Phillips' 2019 film, Joker. That said, when it comes to you, John, once again, we look forward wow. to having you back with us here on Happiness in Darkness. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Nick. I'm hoping to uh, come back on for uh, for one of your group uh, group uh, podcasts. Oh, well, you never know. That may just happen. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, we, we, of course, have had some great laughs and had, had a great time, you know, talking about this great movie. But before we do lower the curtain on this episode of Happiness and Darkness, I would per- or we would personally like to dedicate this episode to the memory of comic book artist and writer Tom Lyle, who recently passed away at age 66. Yes. Tom underwent surgery early last month to remove a blood clot in his brain following an aneurysm the month prior fell into a coma with plans being made for long-term carers of mid-October for a public update from a friend. He made his mainstream comic book debut in late 1988 as the co-creator of DC's Starman series with Roger Stern, but it was his work on the 91 series Robin and the two sequels, The Joker's Wild and Cry of the Huntress, all three written by Chuck Dixon that transformed him into a fan favorite artist. From there, he moved to Marvel, where he worked on a number of Spider-Man projects for a number of years, including designing the Scarlet Spider costume for use during the infamous Clone Saga storyline. And during his tenure at Marvel, he also worked on a Punisher series, as well as Iron Man, X-Men, and Warlock comics, the latter being a four-issue series that he also wrote. So we would like to extend our condolences and long-life wishes to his wife, Sue, and all of Tom's friends and family, and I'm sure his great work will continue to be enjoyed for generations to come. Thanks as always for listening to the show and supporting us. We will see you next week with John Schneider and Joker. Stay super. Ciao. Take care, folks.